What's up, brothers? Welcome back to another episode of Porn and the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and I'm glad to be here with you. It's early Saturday morning, the end of January. We're coming towards the end of January, and yeah, it's just so far so good on a great year. Hope you all are doing well. Just wanted to let you know something that that I've been doing the past several weeks that I think has been very beneficial for me to not lose sight of my goals for this year is just a weekly review. It's just looking at, hey, here are the things that I said I wanted to accomplish. And then just being very transparent and honest with myself about where I am and then sharing those with some friends. Hope that helps. It's good to review on a weekly basis because the tendency is that the longer we remove ourselves from that goal setting period, the easier it is to make excuses and just to drift. But that's not what I want to talk about today. But before we begin, I do want to remind you, if you didn't listen to my last, you can go to naturalpornkiller.com and access for free the five-step program that I put together. took me hundreds of hours to put together over 50 like gospel focused lessons and application things that you can do that will what i believe will begin to kill the sin of pornography in your life and so you can go there you can access it for free not selling anything inside of it not selling anything outside of it. It just, it is what it is. If you want to, if you have a desire to be free, if you're struggling with pornography right now and you're a Christian man, then you will find plenty of gospel saturated lessons in there. And it leads, there is a progression of how it goes. So week one, and then it will drip week two, week three, week four, week five. And I want to say there's six total weeks because one of them took, I had to break up into two weeks. But anyway, I developed this for you, so if you are a brother in Christ and you want to get serious, then I encourage you to do that. And then when you sign up, you can sign up to receive more information for you. I don't have a newsletter, but I will be starting one relatively soon, And uh, but that's not what this podcast is about. I, I wanted to talk to you because I've been thinking about this a lot. If you've listened to my other podcasts, obviously, then you've heard this theme, and it's this theme that that goes through how my, just my thoughts and it's the theme of war. And it, it really, you may get tired of me talking about war, but I read this quote and I was, and I just couldn't have agreed with it more. And so I wanted to share this quote with you. Then we're going to look at some scripture. I want to give you three, three things to be thinking deeply about, uh, especially you who are younger in life. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's like never too late to be thinking about this. And I don't think this is common. This is the common mentality of men in the church today. So I want to share this quote with you. It was from Charles Spurgeon. So here is the quote. He says this, as soon as you are washed in Christ's blood and clothed in his righteousness, you must begin to hew, that's H-E-W, your way through a lane of enemies right up to the eternal throne. Every foot of the way will be disputed. Not an inch will Satan yield to you. Man, this is so true. And so if you're listening to this podcast and 
you deeply desire to worship and to follow and to become more like Christ, then you can expect more opposition. More opposition. Like every step of forward progress will be challenged. Not an inch will be without war. Who hates the worship of Christ more than Satan? Nobody does. Nobody does. And and our especially in America, where we live, the land of the free, <laughs> there's just so many differing opinions about what the Christian life is supposed to be like. But we always have to go back to Scripture. We always have to look back at Scripture. And so what I want to give you, I want to give you just three ways of how you will be challenged and opposed. How you're going to be challenged and opposed. If you desire to live a life worthy of the gospel is what Paul calls it. These are the ways, at least these are three ways that you're going to be opposed by the enemy. So the first one is pain. Okay. We all struggle with painful aspects of our lives. This could be physical pain. This could be mental, emotional pain. This could be sexual pain from our past. There's all kinds of pain that we'll go through. And so what happens is this is what the enemy uses to create stories of unworthiness and shame in our lives. And so if you've had a painful past experience, like the enemy, he, again, he does not want you to worship Christ. He does not want you to become more Christ-like. He doesn't want you to believe and live out the truths of the gospel. And so he's going to remind you of this pain as much as possible. And you're going to play in your head story after story of unworthiness, of shame. Like, I know... So many men who struggle with this. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome these thoughts planted by the enemies, by the enemy? Desired, what he desires is that they these little seeds take root and they grow up in our mind and they overtake our thoughts. They overcome our thoughts. And so Paul has some, you all know this passage I'm about to read. But, and it's, it's such common sense. But like I've said before, common sense is not common practice. And so this is what Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Okay, what is true? So you need to th stop and think about what is true. Now, is, are your stories true, the stories that you're telling yourself true? Is God's word true? Is what your parents told you when you were younger true? Is what your friends told you true? Is pornography true? What are the stories that you play over and over in your head? What are those stories and are they true? This is one of the most helpful exercises for a man of God is to stop and examine his stories. And honestly, nobody does this. I'm not, I'm not going to say nobody. So many men 
ignore this. They don't drag their stories out into the light and say, okay, is this true or is this not? What is a true story? So if this story isn't true, and so how do guys do this? If we're talking about pornography, we're talking about just talking to a friend not long ago, and he was. we were talking about stories of justification and stories of entitlement. My wife and I should be having more sex, but because we're not, I'm going to justify porn because she's never in the mood or whatever the case. We can make up any story we want. But what Paul is saying is finally, brothers, whatever is true, okay, so we have to seek truth first. And I know, and you know, that the word of God is the word of truth. Jesus is truth. And so we have to focus and concentrate on what the gospel tells us, what the word of God tells us, because ultimately that is the truth. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. Think, think, think. If you will not use your mind to challenge the stories of pain from your past, like you will live in fear and in shame for the rest of your life. Now, listen, I don't get this perfect. Like I struggle with stories as well. This is why it's battle all the time. Satan's always trying to plant seeds of doubt and seeds of fear and seeds of shame. When I look back at my life, there's plenty to be, like tons for me to be ashamed about. But if I look forward, if I look to the present of the gospel, then there's much to rejoice in. I can find so much that is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, and I can believe those stories. Paul calls it reckon in Romans 6.11. says, you must consider yourselves or reckon yourself or think deeply about, especially in regards to action, like we ha- he he was pointing back to the first 10 verses of Romans 6 you must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus so he's saying you have to think like for these things to be true and to become like a part of your life you have to think about them and So pain is one of the ways that Satan will oppose us and challenge us and seek to destroy us. What's another way? These are all P's, by the way. (laughs) Pain is number one. Persecution is number two. Right? Like persecution. And I really do think when you start living the Christian life in front of other people in the world, you will either receive praise or persecution. Like you, you've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with that. And I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not sitting here in America, like 
thinking about the same types of persecution that I know brothers and sisters around the world struggle with, like fear of loss of life. I've already talked about on one of the podcasts, the brother that we met in Kashmir, brother in Christ sharing the gospel. His wife was murdered by her own family. That's not the type of persecution I'm thinking of, but our freedom in Christ and freedom in expressing ourselves is increasingly under attack in the workplace, maybe at your university or any other social gathering. So when you begin to live in the truth and speak the truth, you can expect opposition. It's coming. Like you will be made fun of or ridiculed or attacked possibly. So prepare your mind and decide beforehand how you're going to, and the truth is that none of us are going to be burned at the stake most likely or sawn in two, like we read in Hebrews, murdered by those we are seeking to reach. Like I was thinking about Jim Elliott on the beach and Nate Saint and all those, I think there were four of them and they refused. They were trying to reach these uh, the Aka Indians for Christ who were a known to be killers and they refused to take guns because they said we're prepared to meet Christ, but they are not. Like they had already made up their mind before they went how they were going to respond to persecution. And none of us listening to this podcast likely will face that type of persecution. But when you live in truth and when you speak truth, And when you start to help other brothers, then you're going to, you're going to face opposition. So how did the believers in scripture respond? We see this early on in Acts chapter five, verse 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Like they had, they had a message they had to get out and there was no amount of persecution or warnings or anything that was going to shut them up. And I believe that we are most quiet when we are most ashamed of our life. We're most quiet when we're not living in the freedom that Christ produces. And that doesn't mean that we're out bragging about our righteousness because we know our righteousness is all because of Christ. Like it's all in Christ. It's all grace. Obedience is grace. It's just amazing. It like blows your mind when you stop and think about it. So you have pain and you have persecution, but I think this third one is probably the most deadly of all. It's the most deadly of all, and it's prosperity. This is how we will be opposed. Think about it. The subtle pull and drift of the comfortable life. Like the world wants the best of you. It wants your best years. It wants to convince you that the pinnacle of Christian living is a fat bank account and no discomfort in life. Like that is... 
this is that's an attack. This is spiritual warfare, and we don't think of it as spiritual warfare. Why? Because everybody around us is doing it. The people that we look up to, they're living this way. They're living for the greatest comforts in this life. Don't buy it. That's a means to lull you to sleep and cause you to drift into the deep waters where your faith will be drowned. Like that's all it is. Like when you read Revelation 3, 15 through 17, and I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And it's almost as if when we think about pornography and sexual sin in our life, it's, man, I am doing so well in life except for this one area. Like, I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm, I've got everything I need, I've, I'm trying to buy a bigger house, I'm trying to buy the nicest car, I'm trying to climb my way up the corporate ladder, whatever, but if I could just get rid of this one little area of my life that is not working, it's this porn, and it's like really messing me up and giving me feelings of shame and doubt and all this stuff, and all that is true, yet you don't realize that you're at war in other ways as well. And prosperity is one of the ways that Satan desires to destroy us, destroy our faith. Like, I'm convinced, this is what I'm convinced of. I am convinced that one of the biggest roadblocks to a man finding freedom from pornography is their imagined prosperity. See, that's what the church at Laodicea here, they imagined that they are they were rich and that they had prospered, and that they needed nothing. That was imaginary. It was worldly. It was like things of the earth. They didn't realize that the truth was they were wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so what happens when a man, like, imagines he has this prosperity, or if he's seeking after the best of this world, what happens is we don't pray and work from a sense of desperation because we're so comfortable. Like, this is something I've been wrestling with and struggling with lately, is this, like, things are good, things are comfortable. My company is growing fast and it's incredible the things that are happening. We've doubled in size, tripled in size last year. We're going to more than double in size this year. Like things are going so, so well. And so when I'm, if I live from that perspective at all times, then it's easy to become distracted by work and sports and play, and I give the smallest amounts of time to my biggest spiritual problems, and I don't even realize that my faith is shrinking and I'm getting weaker and weaker, and I'm relying more on the flesh, and I'm relying more on wealth, and just over and over and over. And this will not end well for the man who doesn't wake up and recognize that 
what his true spiritual condition is. Like each morning, you and I should wake up and think deeply about our spiritual condition first, not our material condition. If we focus on our spiritual condition, then the Lord will shed light on our material position and what we need to do with that. But when a man feels that he's prosperous and doesn't need anything, he typically is not like looking, crying out to God in desperation for like big purposes in life. We start to think that making a lot of money is my purpose in life. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying like the Lord blesses brothers in Christ all the time. Like I know many men who are generous with their wealth and it's a beautiful thing. So I'm not saying that money is bad, but the tendency is to get comfortable. To me, it's a very rare thing. It's a very rare thing. And so I was even reading this morning in the story of Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, and he acted foolishly and the kingdom, I think it was Jeroboam, the kingdom was like taken from Israel. So he fled back to Judah and in Jerusalem and lived there. And it says in Second Chronicles 12, 1, it says, when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. He abandoned the law of the Lord when the his rule was established and he was strong. And then later in verse 5, the Lord sent a message through a prophet. He says, you abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak, which was the king of Egypt. <laughs> it's this picture of, hey, I'm prosperous. I don't need anything. Look how good I have it. And it's just, it's imaginary. And what's interesting is I kept reading the story here of Rehoboam. When he got back to Jerusalem, the first thing that he did was like, man, he started fortifying cities all around him. I'm going to distribute my sons and daughters and relatives and all these lands. I'm going to build these forts up. I'm going to do all this stuff. And he was doing that. And think about it. He was doing it out of fear. Like, I've got to hold on to everything I have, and so I'm going to fortify everything. I'm going to, like, there was no generosity that I could see. It was all fear-based. I'm keep. And so prosperity is one of the ways that Satan will use to take our hearts far away from Christ. And this has really been on my heart, mainly because several things. <laughs> but one of the reasons why this has been on my heart is I just finished a book this week from David Green, who's the founder of Hobby Lobby. And it's a very challenging book. It's a fantastic book. But this man and his family, by the grace of God, they've, they've got massive wealth, but they don't have wealth. Like they give it all away in the company. And it's just a great, I want to encourage you. Like his, the view that he has for gospel advancing work, using their wealth that they both said is just a, on loan from God. It's his money. It's not our money. Giving it all away is incredible. It's very challenging. But I love how he opens the book. He says this, the questions are different at different stages of life. In our 20s, we tend to ask, who will I marry and what will my career be? In our 30s, we start to ask, how can I be established in my career, and how will my kids turn out? 
by the 40s, we start to ask, is this the job I really wanted and why is life so hard? In our 50s, we start to look both backward and forward. How has it turned out so far and what will I do that's significant in the next 25 years? By our 60s, we ask simpler questions like, will my health hold out and when will I see my grandchildren? By our 70s and 80s, we really start to look back and ask, was it all worth it or will anyone remember? We might even ask, should I have, could I have given more? The funny thing about the questions of life is that the ones we ask at the end are the ones we should begin with. It is tough to craft a meaningful life without considering our end. What do we hope for? What do we dream for relative to our lives, our families, and our children? And so if you are a young man out there, if you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s, and I'm even considering if you live in your, if you're in your 40s, you are younger than one of the great dangers of life is that we don't think about taking great risks for the glory of God. We don't, we stop thinking like when you're younger, you're not thinking about how can I have a massive impact for the glory of God and do it in such a way that he gets the glory. Like it's not me. It's not something that I can do. And so when you live in that place of desperation, because you want to see God do something amazing, guess what? You have to pray. You have to call out for him. You live differently. You have to approach life differently. But if you're hoping for the things of the world, then your life will look no different than anyone else. And so for a man who's struggling with pornography, most of the times he doesn't have a greater purpose beyond what he can see, touch, and feel. So what is the remedy to our wandering hearts, our drifting hearts? And that is to live with such a God-sized purpose in life that dependence on him is the only way to live. Like, So let me ask you the question, what are you seeking to achieve for the Lord that only he can do through you? I was talking with a friend this week and he had a comment. We were talking about marriage and marriage is difficult. And he was talking to me about a past period in his life and his marriage that he's been married over 20 years, but he was talking about a past period in his life and his marriage when it was really rough. And he got some fantastic advice from a friend of ours. <laughs> this is way back. It was like 20 years ago. And this friend of ours, he was he, this this guy was explaining, this is all the things I'm doing to try to improve my marriage, trying to improve my marriage. And this friend of ours looked at him and said, any pagan can do that. <laughs> he said, any pagan can do that. What are you doing that only God can achieve? Like, how are you praying in such a way that only God can do it? And let me tell you, that really resonated with me because I was like, okay, Spencer, what are you trying to achieve that only God can do? Or am I living in such a way, am I hoping for and praying for things that any pagan can hope and work for? I believe that success and prosperity are the killers of many good and noble desires to achieve something great for God. Like you, it, 
what are we doing that only can be done through him? I was reading this commentary about this very thing, and it says this, we can't obscure the fact that earthly riches often keep us from going after heavenly riches as we should. Paul wrote to Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The commentary said, most of us are afraid of poverty. We should be afraid of wealth. And then I also have a commentary on the book of Luke. And I was reading about the rich fool who said, look at all that I have. I don't need anything. I'm going to, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. And the Lord said to him, this is a parable that Jesus was telling in Luke 12. And the Lord said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And so Michael Wilcock said in his commentary, the possessions of this life belong to this life. And since this life is less important than our next, the things of this life should be valued less than the things of eternity. I recently saw a Jerry Seinfeld clip. He was doing stand-up and he said, he had this great little bit about the stuff in your house. Like it is a, your house is just this junk collector and you are just sifting through the junk and the crap. And you're like, it is what you buy new will eventually erode to junk that you're hiding in cupboards or putting in your garage or in your attic and you're, or you're trying to get rid of. And he was just making the point that all of our possessions end up as garbage. Like I'm sitting here in my house recording this and the things that I'm sitting here looking at, whether it be this table I'm sitting at or these couches next to me or whatever the case is, it's all junk and it's all going to go away. But the things of eternity are not going away. So brothers, I just want to encourage you. I just want you to think, think about what are you seeking in life that requires such dependence on God that like only he can do it. So therefore he only, he gets the glory. When we live with such a purpose, we pray with desperation and it, and it doesn't become just about getting out of porn. So you, so your shame stops or that you feel better seeking temporary relief from shame and bad feelings is how we get into porn in the first place. Like we're seeking to escape negative feelings to replace them with good feelings And it ends up destroying our lives. So I just hope that as you think about your life and you think about what God may want to do with you and through you, I hope that he brings like just this deep desire to honor him and to praise him and that you will realize that every step of the way you are going to be going to war. Like It's not easy. It's not simple. Just like Spurgeon said at the beginning, like you have to, like you are forging your way through to the throne 
of God. And that day when your life is over, then you will see him. But until then, we are like we are at war and in this battle, and we can't forget it. And one of the three of the ways that Satan seeks to oppose us is through pain, right? And we talked about that, just the pain of our past, the pain of our life, the pain of different experiences. Persecution is the second one. And then lastly, probably the most subtle and deadly is prosperity. All right, brothers, I hope you all have a fantastic week, and I'll be back sometime soon with another episode of Porn of the Gospel.